You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new documentary, Man on Wire, our guest today, James Marsh, looks at tightrope walker Philippe Petit's daring and illegal high-wire routine performed between New York City's World Trade Center's Twin Towers in 1974, what some consider the artistic crime of the century. Marsh's documentaries include the award-winning Wisconsin Death Trip, Man on Wire won the Audience and Grand Jury World Cinema Documentary Award at the 2008 Sundance Film Festival, It will begin screening Friday, August 8th at the University Town Center Theater here in Irvine. James Marsh, welcome to film school. Thank you very much. How are you today? I'm good. I'm in a sweaty New York city at the moment. Ah. The time when Philippe did his walk in August of 74. Uh. Oh, yeah, there you're getting a feel for it, yeah. Uh, New York can be humid and hot, can't it? It is both those things today. <laughs> okay. The film is opening there this Friday, am I correct? That's correct. It opens in New York, I think, for a two-week run before it rolls out elsewhere in the country. Are you getting uh, butterflies at all? Are you excited about it? No, this? I think it is what it is now. I can do no more about it. Yes. You know, um, we've had some very encouraging screenings ahead of the release here. I mean, with Sundance, as you mentioned, it's been a few other festivals, and there's picked up a few, actually, audience awards of what we specialized in, which I think is good for its potential future at the box office. Uh-huh. No, it's only what I can do now. It is what it is, and I hope people will want to come and see it. It's, it's a really kind of great story. Even if I say so myself, it's a yeah. wonderful narrative that I sort of was given, I guess, to work with, this true story of how this thing was done. And, it, you know, when you first think about it, it feels a bit like some kind of stunt, uh, but it's not that. It's actually an artistic performance between the Twin Towers on a tightrope. But what precedes that is this sort of eight-month criminal undertaking, how to get <laughs> the team and the equipment illegally into both of the Twin Towers, how to rig the wire under cover of night without being discovered so this performance can actually happen. So the film is much more focused on the the criminal conspiracy, if you like, uh, than anything else. It, it's how the film proceeds. It's like a kind of heist film. How are these guys going to break into the Twin Towers in their disguises with their fake ID cards and fake paperwork? Can they pull this off? What Philippe Petit did is, is certainly more, more than a stunt. I, I think that people maybe listening might think of it that way, but it's, it's, it's a magical moment for that entire city. There's something about when he puts that foot on the wire and shifts his weight over that, that changes reality. It, it's a kind of like a thing, a miracle being performed or, or a, really, a really wonderful dream moment. If you're on the ground on that day, you're looking up and you're seeing this sort of little man in the sky literally walking on the air. Yeah. It's not what Philippe does, I think, is not for its own sake. It doesn't say, so I can do this. It's actually to perform and, and to, he does eight crossings uh, and he's up there for 45 minutes. It's not just to prove that he can walk across once and it's done. It's something of a kind of performance and a gift. And as I said, what precedes that is this sort of, you know, hapless criminal conspiracy <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that goes on for literally eight months where he goes down there on a sort of pretty regular basis. He recruits people in New York and from France to come over and help him do this. So the film, as I said, you know, focuses on this sort of heist, this, this heist that ends up with a performance, a gift, if you like, and so nothing is stolen. It's actually given 
uh, to the city of New York at, at the end of all this criminal capering. What was your first impression of Philippe Petit? It's a pretty strong one. He's a very unusual man. Inhabits a world that I don't inhabit in a way, not least because of the wire walks he does and the views he's seen. So he's a very unique individual, and he picked my pocket when we first met. He's an accomplished pickpocket. Um, and uh, that, was, you know, that was sort of welcome to my world. Um, but it was very much a kind of collaborative venture. I wanted him to be very involved in the filmmaking process. It's his story. He did this. Uh, he planned it. And so it was necessarily you know, a, a collaboration on that basis. But he's a really unusual and very mischievous character. And you can see it you know, both in the film and but by what he's done since the, the film, these you know, amazing, inspiring wire walks that are often framed by illegal activities beforehand. Well, you could tell he was a mischievous character just by the way he was acting during the footage that you shot. Was there a lot of footage that you shot of him, or was that were we seeing most of it? No, what you see in the film is is a, a very small amount of, of of a very long series of interviews that we did, and they weren't really interviews. What what happened was, you know, usually when you, you shoot a film, particularly a documentary, you know, it's all done in a fairly sort of uh, sober, uh, controlled way. You know, someone sat in a chair and they're asked questions. Well, that didn't really work for Philippe. He, <laughs> quickly broke down the barriers of that and decided he wanted to kind of act it out in his barn in the Catskills where he now lives. And so before we knew it, he was running around the room, climbing up the walls and running out the door. So we had to either do one of two things, either try and discipline this man, which was never going to work, or just embrace this anarchic kind of performance that began to unfold as he was telling his story. So the film has this sort of a tremendous energy from that. And it has a very particular personal quality based on the person who's telling you the tale, he's not telling it to you in any conventional talking head interview way. He's actually showing you and explaining things to you and, and demonstrating things to you, you know, uh, as a performance. So it's unlike a, a conventional documentary in that respect as well. We're speaking with James Marsh. The, the film is Man on Wire. What brought you to this project? Well, I, I saw Philippe's memoir. He wrote a book uh, in 2002 called To Reach the Clouds, which was his personal subjective account of you know how he did what he did and it's a wonderful book it's very gripping as a read and that's when i got the idea of structuring the film like a kind of caper or crime heist film because the book itself was so suspenseful and there's so many setbacks so many impossibilities that have to be overcome i mean not least you know the the whole act of walking on a wire between the world trade and everything is a mind-boggling thought almost a quarter mile up in the sky and there's, there's no obviously no safety net there's no harness or anything like that. It's absolutely a life and death moment, if you like. Philippe wouldn't see it that way, but clearly we would, and we do. So, you know, that was my first engagement with it, was Philippe's book, and then sort of falling into, you know, meeting other people involved and discovering this rich group of characters. You know, everyone involved it has their own reasons for being involved, but they're, they're sort of, they're up for this crazy idea. Uh, and so the film is constructed from, you know, these sort of seven or eight different accounts of what happened, and they sort of overlap and they contradict, and people feel differently about each other. And this is a great big human drama going on. It always happens. You group who come together to do something that's very difficult, if not impossible. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be kind of high passions involved. Mm-hmm. And often sex and other things. Too. Yeah, yeah. Man on Wire has all these things in it. It has definitely kind of a, I hate to put it this way, but it's sort of a British crime drama with a little bit of a fish called Wanda thrown into it. Uh, there's well, I guess a, so you could, maybe a French crime drama. I French watched a movie right, called yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know that film. It's a French yes. heist film from the 50s, which is involved a, a, you know, a robbery in a jewelry store. Right. And that film we looked at 
before we shot the reconstruction of the, of the film. And actually, the structure of the film is, I just found this out sort of later on when I was thinking about it. It's like Reservoir Dogs. You know, it opens with yeah. this sort of crime that's, you know, in that case, unfolding or just, just happened. And then it sort of flashes back to all the events and all the people that sort of come together to do it. And that's the structure of our film, too. It's not like a documentary where you sit down and someone tells you what's going on all the time. It actually has many of the characteristics of a heist film, as I said, and has a structure that is unlike, un- unlikely for a documentary. It's more like a genre film in that respect. Now, you did have some footage from an uh, older black-and-white crime film. What is that from? It's a B-movie heist film, and what Philippe would do... He got very disheartened at one point when they, they tried to do the first break-in and it didn't work out and they had to abandon it. Um, and the film addresses that. It's, you know, it, it's a sort of big stumbling block that they try and do it and it doesn't happen. And Philippe then consoles himself and gets inspiration from watching crime shows and crime movies on television. And he begins to get his, kind of like his morale back by seeing you know, sort of fictional accounts of robberies and, and bank raids and stuff. And so we use a few clips from a, a B-movie yeah. in the 50s, but he got his inspiration from movies too, so yeah. why not show one? I think it was Ani who uh, was talking about Philippe watching the, the crime films all the time, which is his girlfriend. But there's an old friend of his, uh, Jean-Louis, who seems to be the closest to him through at least this uh, tightrope walk between the World Trade Center towers. Is the difference between those two people, Jean-Louis and Philippe, as broad as it appears on film? Yeah, I think it is, actually. I think they're very, very different personalities. But I think for Philippe, it was a question of he had to have people that he really trusted around him. I mean, his life is at stake, and Jean-Louis is going to rig the wire on the North Tower. He's responsible for the rigging on that side of the wire. Mm-hmm. So he has to know that the person doing it is someone who knows what, what he's doing and he trusts implicitly. And they have a very interesting and very close relationship at the time, but it was also it's very antagonistic, and the film gets into this too, because they have very different ideas about how they're going to do this, and Jean-Louis is constantly carping on about Philippe not preparing properly, not doing the right kind of reconnaissance in the buildings, and Philippe is constantly kind of re- replying to that, saying, I'm doing you know, the best I can here. Right. So there's quite a lot of friction that's building up in the preparations of this, because they just don't agree on how they're going to do it. And so that plays out in the film as a sort of dramatic idea. But, of course, in their friendship, it puts enormous strain on it. And at the end of the... They achieve what they achieve, of course. The friendship doesn't really survive the achievement. You know, they, they reach their objective. But at the end, it sort of splinters apart because they, I think there's been so much sort of friction going into this adventure. The film is it's a fairy tale. It's a kind of heist movie. But at the end... It's, it's real people and real people's relationships, and they don't go the way that fairy tales do. It's you come back down to ground, and things are different then. The film is Man on Wire. We're speaking with James Marsh. You use a nice device in the in the film to introduce us to these different people in this uh, in this endeavor, uh, with the sort of the AKA known as, and you give us a little bio about them, and so it immediately puts us in a uh, we have a context for for the for the different people. Yeah, it's introducing these. Characters who come to the, yeah. the plot in different ways, and you have at one point that they Philippe befriends what we call the inside man, and he's a really important part of the the plot. He's not that straight looking, but he has a suit and a tie. He works in the New York State Insurance uh, Office that's on the 82nd 
floor of the buildings. And at that point, that is the highest floor that's been occupied. The towers have just been completed and not full yet. So he's up there. He's got an office there, which they can store their equipment in. So they do a dummy run where they go in and, and they plan it all out. And he, he gets some ID cards, which they, they then manufacture and create fake ID cards. So... He's a very important character, but he's also out of the genre of crime films, too. He's the man inside that knows how the thing works, how the bureaucracy works, getting into the buildings. There's other people involved. Also, there's a musician who uh, Philippe kind of picks up, David Foreman, yeah. who um, is you know, just he's a, kind of a rock musician in yeah. New York, and he's not the most reliable of characters. <laughs> no, he's in not. In fact, he's under the influence of, of marijuana a lot of the time. But yeah, he's a part of this adventure, too, and... <laughs> The French look at, look, look upon some of the American recruits with a certain amount of skepticism, if not contempt. Yes, uh, I think that's fair to there's say. There's enormous sort of uh, <laughs> so. friction between the French and the Americans, and, and Jean-Louis very much disapproves of this sort of pot-smoking character that Philippe has recruited, who, who ends up being, of course, spectacularly unreliable because he's stoned when they go into <laughs> the buildings, and then he sort of freaks out and gets very paranoid in there and has to leave. So all in all, this is a very, very unlikely blend of characters that we do introduce in a kind of usual suspect yes. kind of way. Yes. The inside guy. I'm sorry, I forgot his name right Barry now. Barry Greenhouse. Barry Greenhouse. Yeah. Did he ever do you have to deal with the consequences? Did they ever figure out that he was the guy that helped to facilitate I this? I think it was sort of known after the fact, particularly people in his office who'd seen this little Frenchman come up okay. and hang out there beforehand. You know, he'd yeah. been up there a few times at okay. Barry's office. And they put two and two together, but there was no you know, sort of punitive consequences for Barry, and thank God, you know, because he, he was risking a lot, his job not least, by allowing this to happen. Of course, you know, we live in a different world now, and the punishments would be, I think, very different now. And Philippe himself was not punished by the... I mean, he was arrested, thrown in the tombs. Uh, he's there for a day. So they're trying to figure out what the hell to do with him, and eventually he's, he's sort of let off with a performance that he does. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine that happening now. You know, Giuliani changed a lot in this city, and we live in a very different world now, and 9-11 changed a lot in the city too, and we live in a, a world that's much less forgiving of such things, and, and these things are much less available to us now. And it seems to me, you know, we've lost so much as a result of you know, the way the world has changed, and this story like, celebrates a different world a different set of possibilities, I think, and one that I'd much rather live in, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, we were yeah, Nathan and I were talking say. off, off mic uh, after seeing the film, and we're struck, I was struck, by just how different a sensibility was in play, uh, going back to the reaction of the people on the street, and particularly on the reaction on the part of the New York policeman who was describing what he had seen up on, on the, uh, the roof of the World Trade Center. And that reaction was so unguarded and so spot on. And, and, and it was an, an emotional reaction as opposed to a very kind of uh, a dragnet kind of reaction that you would no, get exactly. to. Exactly. You know, you know, clearly the police had been enraged by this because they got up to, you know, but they, they were there very quickly and they were on both towers very quickly. But of course, they can't go on the wire and get him off. You know, it's just not you know, anyone. One person could be on that wire in the world. And it's Philippe Petit. Yeah. So you know, he's really snubbing them and really undermining their authority. And yet, the policeman who's interviewed at the end of this is awestruck by what he's just seen. And he's very lyrical. He's kind of just like a regular New York cop. And you know, he speaks in sort of New York cop language. But he sort of he transcends himself at this point. He thinks it's something wonderful, and he yeah. sort of speaks very beautifully about it, and, he, and it, with a real wonder and joy. And it's one of my favorite parts of the film, is just seeing this policeman who's there to arrest and punish Philippe. And he's just cap 
captivated by what he's just seen, and, and it's very lyrical and beautiful what he says about the walk. And yes. It's very, also very funny, because you don't expect it coming from you know, a, a uniformed, gruff New York policeman. Right. We're speaking with James Marsh. The film is Man on Wire. Use uh, some recreation footage uh, in this film, but you also got hold of some uh, footage of Philippe early on in his uh, training camps. Philippe uh, tried to document the preparations for this with a film crew and quickly abandoned it because, you know, you can't do what he's doing and have a film crew following you around. So, uh, but there, also, there was some footage that he shot in France when he literally had a training camp and he had a little a sign for it saying WTC training camp and a little arrow pointing to a meadow where he'd be practicing on his wire. And this footage shows, you know, two things that are very important. One is it shows you some of the very specific practical challenges that they face, how they're going to get this heavy cable from one tower to another across the board. They can't just throw it across. They have to figure out a quite clever way of doing it. And this really shows you how they go about doing it. And it involves, you know, the most unlikely piece of equipment you'd imagine, which they end up smuggling into, you know, into the, you know, through JFK Airport. It's a bow and arrow. I will give you that and no more. And they have to go through JFK Airport with a bow and arrow in their suitcases. And imagine if that, you did that now. What would, what would happen to you? you know? um, but also the footage in France shows you the, the real spirit of this. It's young people kind of running around, enjoying themselves, um, squabbling and arguing passionately about how they're going to do this. And there's about eight rolls of film that were shot at that time. Sort of the center of the film, it's sort of this idyll, this innocent kind of reverie where you see these young, dare I say, handsome people plotting this wonderful adventure. And it, it feels innocent, but, you know, there's a man's life at stake as well. You, you, kind of, you forget that sometimes when you as the film is unfolding, as you think about it. But in fact, it's, it's a very serious business. Uh, he's prepared, prepared to risk his life to do something beautiful. And that's, you know, a very interesting kind of inspiring moral for us all, I guess. Yeah, there's, there's a very gypsy quality to the, the troupe. I love the music you have for the film. Uh, did you chart the direction of this, or did you hand the, uh, the music over to someone else? No, but the music is actually, it's, it's from Michael Nyman's uh-huh. back catalog. Michael Nyman is a as you probably know, a well-established film composer. He did the yes. score for The Piano and one or two other you know, very sort of important films. And he's a you know, well-established film composer. We couldn't really afford to commission a score. But I, I knew a, had a mutual friend who introduced me to Michael, and I said, well, this is this great story. And Michael said, well, why don't you just rummage around in my back catalogue and see what you can find there. You know, everything's available to you. All the music I own, you can look at and work with if you want to. So I spent a lot of time just going through Michael's existing film scores, sketches for films that hadn't happened, other compositional works he'd done. And with his sort of guidance and support, put together a score constructed largely from from him. And then a, a friend of mine called Josh Ralph came in at the very last minute and scored the highest part of the film to distinguish wow. it from the rest of the film. So there's a kind of score that, that, that goes with the break into the towers and all the adventures that happen that night, all the things that go wrong. And Josh scored that for me. And then we've got Michael Nyman's, who's the main voice of the film, that, you know, I think it's a big score. It's a big sort of monumental score because what's going on is so big and monumental. I think it's one of the things that documentaries can do if they want. They can be, you know, a big screen experience. And the idea of this film going in was always to make it into a big kind of moving a big audience film so we would enjoy this sort of adventure collectively and hopefully it works on that level. I enjoyed your use of Eric Satie too. Indeed, that came from Philippe and he performs to Satie. Oh really? So ah. he gave me that idea. We, we know, I saw him 
Yeah, I used to go and see him a lot, rehearsing on his wire. He does that every single day. He practices on his wire, and he would have oh. a different sort of set of musical cues for his rehearsal, and that was one of them, was Satie, and it just felt so at one with the, the beauty of what he was doing and the yeah. kind of poise, if you like, of Satie. Exactly. And yeah. it sort of worked very well. You know, it's a very well-known piece of music, but I think we, we make it our own for for the walk itself, which which is accompanied by the Satie uh, Gymnopédie, and it's it feels just so right, even though it's, I think, will be familiar to many people when they hear it. And you also have as director of photography, is it uh, Igor Martinovich? Igor Martinovich, uh, yeah. Yes, uh, who did uh, Sangre de Sangre? He did indeed, yeah. And, um, Igor and I, again, had a mutual another director called Ben Ross, who is a, a British filmmaker who shot a short with Igor. And um, Igor has a background in both documentaries and feature films, and that felt important to what we were proposing with Man on Wire, which was a, a documentary that had many of the qualities of a feature film, and not least its sort of, this sort of rollicking adventure yarn that it tells you. So he was a great collaborator for me, and we, we looked at lots of different heist movies and other kinds of films to, to get the kind of visual textures of the film you know, to be what they were. Uh, and he, again, he was a very good choice for me and, and was a very good collaborator on this one. Well, in the last minute here we have, I, I want to congratulate you on this film. First of all, in general, it's a terrific film. But I also want to uh, congratulate you on, we all, as Americans and people around the world, bring a lot of baggage to a film that involves the World Trade Center, obviously. It's the elephant in the room, but it's nothing that really imp in any way impedes your your ability to enjoy the film on its own terms. But there is that one shot overhead uh, looking up towards uh, Philippe, and there's the, the plane right next to the uh, – flying over the top of the World Trade Center. It kind of ties it all together in a way. I guess it does, and it has an uncanny uh, – as you said, an uncanny power that we bring to it. Yeah. That photograph pre-exists any future events, if you like. The film is set very much in the present tense in 1974. Yeah. And as you say, it's, it's a, there's a big fact that we're all going to bring to, to, to the viewing of the film, which is yeah. we know that those buildings were destroyed in the most hateful and, and murderous way. And yet, for me, the idea was to get us, if you're not, not, not over that, that, that's not a fact one can ever get over, no. but to, to reframe our perception of those yeah. buildings for the duration of the film, to enjoy the story for what it was. And it was a very easy choice to exclude any reference to future events in, in our film, in Man on Wire. Well, but that one image, of course, again, you know, I could, could have chosen not to use it, but that would feel, feel like some kind of bizarre censorship. You know, why can't I use that image? What, it shows you the scale of it. And of course, it has a resonance now for all of us that's different from its existing document of its time. And, you know, it's an image where we see Philippe from the ground and yeah. you see a plane flying you know, very low, and it shows you how high up he is, and of course it has other dimensions to it now. But you know, you could, I could have not used that image, but then I would have been censored by, essentially by the people who destroyed the building, right. and why should I allow that to happen? Exactly right, and that's exactly what I, I believe you accomplished with it. It's a terrific film, a film about a man walking on a wire between two of the tallest buildings in the world. It's an amazing film, uh, and James Marsh, thank you for being here on Film School. The film is Man on Wire. Thank you very much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash Film School.